to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The quicker y'all listen, the quicker I'll preach. Uh, but I'll tell you, well, easy now, Billy. <laughs> that was quick. But this morning, can you hear me? Can everyone hear me? One, two, one, two. There you go. All right. This morning, uh, we have partaken in our agape feast. I believe that we have worshiped in spirit and truth. Uh, I know it seems odd and a little different, but it actually should not seem odd to eat and celebrate our unity in Christ together. As a matter of fact, that should be something normal. It used to be that you live life with your church family because that was your family. Now it's you see them when you want to see them, and you hope you don't see them when you don't want to see them, and that's not how it should be. You do realize, again, that church is your family. We are the family of God. That's, that's, not just, that's not just preaching talk. That is true. Think about it. I know mine eats together. My family at home, we eat together. We have fun together. We cry together when things happen that are sad. We get fired up usually about the same things. Yes, we might fight and bicker, but don't you dare talk about my family. You understand how that works? Church, we must go back to this meaning something. We must stop making it our church family the first thing that we neglect when things get complicated. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever uh, had a dispute with your spouse. Has, have you ever done that for those that are married? Have you ever argued with your spouse? Yeah, amen. Someone give me a big amen. amen. I don't know how you argue, but there are right and wrong ways to argue. Amen. And I've seen a lot, I've argued the wrong way, and I've seen argued the wrong way a whole lot. But see, when you argue with your spouse, the worst thing you can do is just leave it alone and say, you know what, it'll get better later. That's not how you're supposed to love your spouse. You're supposed to love your spouse and love your family to where you're going to love them enough to give them the time and go to them and say, we're going to get this settled because I love you. We're going to get past this together. But see, what happens in the church family is, we get hurt or we get irritated or we get our feelings hurt and all of a sudden we don't want to go to our family anymore. We just want to leave our family. We would never do that in our home, but for some reason we do that with our church family. And I want you to know something. Things are going to get complicated. <laughs> That's part of life. Anyone ever had a complicated situation? Yeah, amen. Here is the truth of the matter. Someone who claims Christ and is growing in their faith actively, cannot forsake the bride of Christ, that is, the church. So why do we see it so often? Why do we see people leave so often? Why do we see a culture of, of uh, uh, fast food church? Well, if this one doesn't please me the way I want them to please me, then, then I'll go to that one. Or if that one doesn't do this, there, there's, no, there's no commitment living. There's no loyalty, right? There's, there's, no, there's no man. God is working here, and no matter what happens, no matter what dispute, no matter what gossip, no matter what hurt, this is where God has me. How do we, how do we get to where we are today? Well, we've lost focus. We've lost focus. And you say, well, focus on what? Well, what is the church? What is the church? That's a very important question to ask. By the way, if you can't answer that question, then you cannot answer who you are. You do realize that. Every believer should be able to answer the question, what is the church? We're going to look at that for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, it says this, and hath put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. God calls the church his body. We are the body of Christ. That's a big deal. That's not something just to not care about. But there are two parts of the church. And I want to I set a table and we'll get to it. There are two churches. Okay, and we got to not be confused about these two churches. Well, there's not two churches. There's two parts of the church. You, you have the universal church. That consists of all those who have a personal relationship with Christ. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are one body of believers. Those that have confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in their heart that God raised them from the dead and was saved, those across the ocean, across the county, they are the, in the same universal church. They've all been made a drink in the one spirit, been baptized in the one body. You say, what about denominations? Well, we're not going to get into that. There are disputes and there are differences, but here's the thing. You might be surprised that someone in another domination could actually truly know Jesus. We don't ever want, we don't want to ever limit salvation to, well, if they, this, this, this. Well, hey, there are some tier one issues that if we disagree on, then we really disagree. But there are some tier two and tier three issues that if we don't agree on, we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. But you better, you better agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So there's a universal church, uh, an overall universal church. Believers across the ocean are just part of the church as we are here in the Bible Belt. But then you have what we call the local church. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Paul is speaking to the local churches in Galatia, you do realize that it is good to have a lot of churches. Now, when I first started pastoring, I did not agree. I was like, we need to have a church of Lebanon, and everyone needs to go to that church. And I was like, and, that, and, that, and that's a more biblical model. But if you really look at Scripture, let me just tell you something. That there are different churches that can reach different people groups. Listen, Cedar Grove is not everyone's uh, flavor. You know what I'm saying? You may be coming here thinking that, that you can uh, clap on beat. No one else can. You understand what I'm saying? You might think that you can tap your foot. Well, we, we, here at Cedar Grove, we like to do that. We just know how funny we look when we do that. You know what I'm saying? So we try to keep from doing that. But every church has a different personality. Every church have a different, has a different culture. I've, I've passed it in. Man, my little ears have shrunk or something. Hold on. By the way, I have little ears. And this is for a normal human being that has normal-sized ears. So, okay, I think it's sticking now. All right, we're good. But every church has a different, has a different uh, culture. I, I preached in churches in, in a place called Mudlick, Kentucky. Everyone say Mudlick. That don't even sound like a real place, but you know it's in Kentucky if it was real. You know what I'm saying? Mudlick, Kentucky, right? They had a different culture there. And I preached in places in, 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 in the outskirts of, of Middle Tennessee. They all have different cultures. Local churches are important. 
Strong local churches. This is the local assembly, the local church family in which every believer ought to be a part of. As a matter of fact, our director of missions, Scott Brown, he, uh, he cast his vision for the association two Thursdays ago. He's doing a great job, by the way. And he wants to, he wants to buy 2030. He wants to have 50 churches in our association. We have 41 right now. And, and, and what he said is he said the way that, that Wilson County is growing and, and how things are happening, every church would have to uh, bring on uh, 700 more people. Now, that, that's not even including just the Baptist church. That's, that's, that's all uh, churches, that, evangelical churches, all the ones that 700 people would have to join every church for us to church every person in Wilson County. You know how silly we get sometimes when we're like, man, this is the only thing right here. We should celebrate other churches' successes because they're part of the universal church, but they're also helping our community. So just like we celebrate our successes, just like we celebrate the salvations that we see here, the baptisms that we see here, we should celebrate those elsewhere as well. Amen? And I'm, hey, listen, I'm a competitive person. Y'all know that. But I'll tell you one thing. I want to I be a kind of person that doesn't care who does it. I want to be like Paul. Whether I plant the seed and you water the seed, who cares? God gives the increase. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I needed that this morning. But people sometimes, I don't need a church to be saved. They don't say it like that. They say, I don't need a church to be saved, preacher. I can stay home, watch my Joel Osteen. I can stay. I can, I can watch it on Facebook. I can do all this. Stuff. Let me just tell you something. First off, aren't you just a bundle of spiritual joy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I can tell you this. You may not need to go to church to be saved, but you better be a part of a church to live saved well. Whether you disagree or not, you don't have to go home to be married. But if you want a good marriage, you better go home. You understand what I'm saying? You better be home. <laughs> So, but, but, but here's the thing. It, it's not that, oh, it's a legalistic thing. Sometimes people say, oh, well, church is just so legalistic and you got to do it. No, 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 no. We ought to want to be here because of who we are in Christ. I'm here to tell you that it can be lonely business in this world trying to live for Christ alone. We need our church family. So we have established what and who the church is. So, so how does it cause so much hurt? That's the question. How, how in the world can something so beautiful, how in the world can something so God-ordained cause so much hurt? Because I can look around, and, and, I, and I know that our church hurt stories all through this place. This is not one of our bigger crowds, but I know for a fact that there's church hurt. I can, I can go to other churches. I can talk to other pastors, and I can talk to them, and they, they'll tell me that there's a lot of people that are just simply church hurt today. Now, we could sit here and say that y'all need to just buckle up and get tougher, but, but, but church hurt is real. The, the, the things that happen in church, it, it's, it's actual. It really happens. But why? How does church cause so much hurt? Why is church so contentious and awkward in our culture? Think about it. If you know that the church is the body of Christ and, is, and in order to be a part of this body, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus, baptized by one spirit into one body. That's a, that's a miracle. That's amazing. So how has it become what it has become? I want everyone to lean in real quick. I want everyone to lean in real quick. Lean in, lean in. As much as we are the church because of our faith in Jesus, you hear me? As much as that is the truth, amen? Say amen. Amen. 
Say amen to truth. Okay? All right? So be it. That's what, okay? Lean in some more. So as much as that's the truth, lean in some more. Right now, I don't see you leaning in. Okay. Church ain't about you. <laughs> Church is not about me. Church. I know that may seem contradictory, but it's really not. It's not about our preferences. It's not about the songs that we grew up singing. It's not about the, the color of the carpet. I'm, I think, I've, I've heard horror stories of people actually arguing over that. Uh, we don't do that here. We argue over other things. But either way, like, you know, it's not about, it's not about that. It's, it's not about who didn't shake your hand or who did shake your hand. It's not about that the preacher preached something that you deal with and now you don't like them. It's not about that someone came in having a bad day. Maybe, maybe their marriage is in shambles. Maybe their kids are wayward and they didn't give you a smile so you got offended because they're mean and everyone at that church is mean. You don't know what they're going through. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. We are, according to Ephesians 1, the fullness of him. Listen, we, we read it. The fullness of him. Him being the one who fills all in all. So for a moment this morning, as we celebrate our unity and freedom in Christ, before we get to partaking in the sacred Lord's Supper, let's focus on how we got here. Not, not in the brokenness, not in all the contention, but how the church got here. How we can say, I am the church. So let's look at the title, Never Forget. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, I pray that you just give me liberty, God, power, and clarity to preach this message. God, I pray those that have ears to hear, let them hear. God, I pray if I've already offended somebody, may it be through your word, God. May it be, may it be in a, such offensive that the, the, the light shines upon their sin, God, and they realize that they need you. God, there's someone here who is lost. I pray today is a day of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A very familiar text. We all know this text, but if you would just turn uh, to Ephesians 2. We were in Ephesians 1. Now we're going to go to the second chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit and now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, these first verses that we're looking at here, it shows us, reveals us what we were. Look at verse 1 again. And you have the quickened, who were dead... In trespasses and sin. Church, we were dead. Everyone say dead. Guess what the Greek term for dead means? Just guess. Dead. Lifeless. No life. Just dead. The reason why you see so many people walk this earth in such a lifeless manner is because they are dead spiritually. You say, well, they look like they're living it up. Oh, I can tell you this. Aside from Christ, there is no life. So we were dead. That's what we were. But then we see not only were we dead, but we see who we were. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as 
others, who we were. What what does a spiritual dead person look like? The world. Fleshly appetites, seeking for something to feel alive, and if it just for a moment, that's what they go after. By nature, the children of wrath. How dark and grim and miserable is that description of someone without Christ? But that's who we were. You say, well, I've been in church my whole life. You know what I love? I love them. Well, I don't love it. It breaks my heart. But when I say, hey, you know, are, are you saved? Give me your testimony. Well, I've been in, my church. I, I've been in church my whole life. What does that mean? <laughs> are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Oh, well, I, I've known God my whole life. No, you haven't. You cannot say that. Because, you, because Adam sinned, you sinned. Therefore, you were born with a sin nature. And that when you were born, that little, that little baby, and I don't know if you ever had a baby, but a little precious little baby, right? My little baby was the cutest, cuter than yours, you know what I'm saying, whatever. But you think, man, look at this little precious little, that, that little that's a little precious little sinner, a little vile, little wicked, little, little sinner child. That's what they are. I mean, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, right? They're, 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 they are born into a nature. Now, granted, it takes some time for them to understand sin, but, but I'm saying we are all born into a sin Nature. We were all dead. We were all lifeless. And who we were was children of wrath, even as others. But this is where it gets good. You might think, man, I thought we were like agape feast, having a good time. No, this is where it gets good right here. Look at verse 4 and 6. But God. Everyone say, but God. Possibly the, most, the two most beautiful words in Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see this here? God did not make us alive in Christ alone. If you study the monks, everyone says, man, them monks were spiritual. Them monks were mis- they, they, they were misinterpreted what a Christian life is. To go and not to go and to, to, to beat yourself up and to not eat and to be alone your entire life. First off, you can't do the Great Commission doing that. Could you imagine he's over here just he's, he's up on the mountain as a as a uh, I guess a mountain goat and he's sitting there chilling. You, uh, no, that's not how we were raised up. What? Everyone say it. Together. Together. We were raised up together. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He made us alive together. Hath raised us up together and made us sit. Made us sit together. Some of y'all that put your purse down beside you because you don't want no one to sit by you. The Bible says we to sit together. <laughs> Just letting you know. Why? Why is this so important? Well, look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The people should be able to look at us and see Jesus. You know what they look at when they see the church a lot? They look at, well, they're just judgmental. You know why? Because we choose what sins we don't like. Somebody coming up here looking different, smelling different, living different. And we'll sit there and say, no, 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 you can't be doing that here while we got, it, while we got people in our own pews living in fornication and, and, and sinning every day and, and not in their Bible, not in their word, not being a soul winner, lazy in their faith. Oh, but, th- but that's our people. No, sir. No, man. The, the, the reason why, listen, hey, by the way, uh, part of the Bible is judgment. 
We are to rebuke sin. I will never apologize for that. But people see the church in such a way because we decide which sin we rebuke and which sin we don't rebuke. And listen, I've fallen, I've fallen guilty of that too because, it, listen, it's tough to rebuke a brother. It's tough to rebuke a sister. They look at us and they think they're just a clique. You know what's so beautiful about that? Listen, it's not that we're a clique, but you got to have Jesus to go where we're going. But everyone's welcome. Just come to the table. But this is not describing everybody here, just those who are saved. I want you to know today, if you are not saved, you, you're, you're not getting the exceeding riches. You are not getting the grace. You're not getting his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You're not getting that until you receive him as Lord. Look at verse 8 through 10. By the way, I love you. Don't, don't take this as me not love you. I do love As a matter of fact, I love you enough to tell you this. Look at verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. Someone say amen. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank goodness. Aren't you? I mean, we can't get someone to volunteer in the nursery. Y'all, if it was for works, y'all definitely ain't going to heaven. You know what I'm saying? For real. <laughs> hey, we need some help. Not me. <laughs> Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And once saved, we are no longer what and who we were. That's the miracle about it. So what has Jesus done for us? Well, the church, he has given us life. He's given us a family. He's given us a purpose. That's, that's pretty good right there. I don't know what else a person needs. Well, preacher, I don't really believe all that stuff. Well, you want evidence then. Okay, let's get some evidence. You should be able to simply look around and see all the changed lives in the room to see the evidence that Jesus is real, by the way. You know, the greatest, the greatest evidence to Christ is a changed and transformed life. Uh, someone being literally ripped out of death and ripped out of hell and ripped out of the world and, and being placed and placed together in Christ Jesus. That, that transformation is indisputable. What happens, though, is sometimes we slip and sometimes we fall and sometimes we get back doing the things that we used to do and we confuse the world saying you can proclaim Christ by not living for Christ. That is confusing because it's not true. Are you with me? So anyway, but if you want more evidence, if you're one of those people that like evidence, and I got a piece of paper here, I'm going to read some stuff off this paper. Did you know that the New Testament of this Bible is the most evidenced ancient text in the world? Did you know that? Uh, let, me, let me help you understand. So when, when scholars, people much smarter than I am, much smarter than you are, when they look at authenticating ancient texts, there's a few things they look at. And one of the major things they look at is the time from when the original was written and the copies were copied. Does that make sense? So you got the originals, then you got the manuscripts. The time in between is very important for authenticity, for evidencing that, that this, is, this is true, this is, this is real. So has anyone ever heard of Plato? Not Plato. You're like, hey, I played Plato last night. No, Plato. So Plato, I'm going to give you three names, Plato, Aristotle, and Homer. Now you say, well, it's been a while since I've gone to school. Me too, that's okay. Let me just tell you this. We are still considering Plato and Aristotle's writings as truth and fact and philosophically impacting Western civilization. We study them in school. We study what they said. Let's think about it. Plato 
The approximate time span between the original writing of Plato and a copy is 1,200 years. But no one questioned Plato. Plato, right? Aristotle, let's talk about Aristotle, right? The, the time between original copy, original and the copy is 1,400 years. Not only that, the number of copies that we have for Plato is seven. The number of copies we have for Aristotle is 49. So that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Homer, which is actually, uh, we, you know, pre pretty, pretty cool dude, if you've read about him. 500 years in between, original and copy. Are you, is everyone with me? There are 643 number of copies that gives the writings of Homer, the, the writings that we have today that we can look at, a 95% accuracy rate. Okay? Now let's talk about the New Testament. The time between original and copy was approximately less than 100 years. There are 5,000 686 Greek manuscripts in existence today for the New Testament. Hear me now. This should get you excited as a believer. That is a 99.5% accuracy rate. They missed it, Bill. 99.5% accuracy. Listen, you say, well, that's just your opinion. That's just this. That's just that. Listen, when, when, when I stand up here and preach the word, when you go to your, to your prayer closet or you go to your dining room table and you read the word, you are reading the real thing. So since I have evidence for that now, there was a man named Paul. So let's read about Paul. Everyone turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remember, what we're reading is 99.5% accurate. But Plato and Aristotle, they can't even give an accuracy rate. Isn't that crazy? So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, look at this. And I thank Christ Jesus, this is Paul t uh, talking, our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He tells Timothy how thankful he is to be counted in the ministry. Why is he so thankful? Because most people want to get out of the ministry. Most people don't want nothing to do with ministry. Most people say, well, I'll come to church, but I won't help. I'll come to church, but don't ask me to do anything. But Paul's saying, I am thankful that he counted me faithful to be in this ministry. And let me just tell you something. Paul's ministry that he was in got a lot rougher than what you're experiencing. I don't know if you've been bit by a snake lately or shipwrecked or stoned or imprisoned, but that's all part of Paul's ministry. But see, why is he so thankful? Because before Jesus, Paul was a blasphemer a persecutor of Christians in the church. He was violent. He was spiritually dead. He was an unbeliever. That may be you today. So, so what changed Paul then? Well, look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Once he met Christ, everything changed. You're talking about a man that went from 
killing Christians and persecuting the church to starting churches and making Christians do discipleship. That's good right there. That's good, guys. It was the kind of love that Christ showed us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But here is what I want us to hear today. Look at verse 15. I love this scripture. If this is not highlighted in your Bible, if you are a highlighter, highlight it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What he's saying is, you can believe Jesus. Look at the changed life. Most of the people, listen, when, when Paul first got saved, you know what they did? They do what, uh, usually what we do. They, they rejected him. This guy's just trying to trick us. This guy's not the real deal. This guy, that guy, this guy. And, and, and God had to literally send someone in his, in his stead to tell him, you need to accept Paul. God is using him. He was rejected by the church. But yet, he can sit there and say that this is a faithful saying. If Jesus can save me, he can save you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a faithful, is faithful and worthy of accepting. Paul tells Timothy, if Jesus can save him, he can save anybody. Look at verse 16. How be it for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Church, the testimony we have through the gospel is to show others they can believe and inherit eternal life. You might say, preacher, this is just too simple. I don't know why. This is just a simple message. You're in Ephesians, you're in Ephesians 2, 1 Timothy. Why are you being so simple? Well, first off, let me, let me tell you what, what a pretty cool preacher said one time. Maybe on the next slide, maybe. There it is. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Spurgeon. You ever heard of him? Yeah. Pretty cool guy. Can't read that. He says, do not violently strain a text by illegitimate spiritualization. This is a sin against common sense. Can I, you say, why did you put that there? The gospel's simple. The truth is simple. I don't have to overcomplicate it to let you know that this is a saying that is worthy of accepting. That the gospel is faithful. Sometimes the truth is simply just simple. So let's talk about the truth that we talked about today. Remember these things. What were we? Well, what we were, we were dead. Who we were, we were children of wrath. What Jesus did raised us up together. Who and what we are now saved and we are the church, the body of Christ. But church, it's not about us. Look at verse 17. Now unto the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All the honor, all the glory belongs to him. So when we want to make church about anything or anyone else, let's remember how we got here. Nobody paid the way in. Nobody, nobody's status got him here. No, no. Every single one of us were dead and lifeless children of wrath. But God, and now we are the church. That might put things in perspective a little bit. Amen? I want you to know there's a lot of people in the church that get wore down and tired, and they start thinking, well, I'd rather do something else, or I'd rather do this, and they start to reprioritize their life. Why? Because they lose focus on why and who we are. You say, preacher, that's easy for you to say. You're a preacher. You do, this is what you do. Let me explain something to you. God forbid me ever not be a, 
just, just be a, a, a Christian because I'm a preacher. I was a Christian before I was a preacher. You do realize that. So, so in, instead of making things, things how we want it, let's make it how they are. We are the church. Let's remember how we got here. When we get disappointed, remember who we are and who we were. When, when that church hurt happens, I would rather be a part of a living church that makes mistakes than a dead world. Never forget why you are the church. With heads bowed and eyes closed before we go into our Lord's Supper.